Aloha and welcome. You're listening to Soul, your host for Pay Me What I'm Worth Talk Radio. Imagine me bowing in gratitude before you for taking the time to join us on a special journey. Did you miss a week? No worries. Listen to all of our prior shows at bit.ly forward slash pay radio. Again, bit.ly forward slash pay radio. To get one reminder of our next show, be sure to click on the follow button up at the top of the page. And now it's time to sit back and to learn along with the rest of us. Get ready to meet some amazing souls as they make real changes in daily life. I recommend you find some notepaper, then get ready to enjoy a few ahas as you listen to this show. I'm delighted and thrilled to introduce you to Christina Irvin, team leader for Team Clarity. Hello, I'm Christina Irvin, and I'm happy to extend this special invitation for you to eavesdrop on Team Clarity's discussion as we dive into the next exercise of Pay Me What I'm Worth. Next, let's meet the rest of the team. Hello, this is Chelsea Wells from the mountains of Tennessee. Have a blessed day. Hi, this is Marcia Sertino, and I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. Hello, and welcome from the gorgeous state of Wisconsin. This is Patty Anderson. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Julia Cologne from the city that never sleeps, New York City. Team Clarity members share their class time with us for two main reasons. Reason number one, they want those they hold near and dear to know about the changes that they're making on multiple levels. As they change, by listening to these classes, people who know Team Clarity members may opt to change along with them. Reason number two, to share their stories with you. I bet their stories and life lessons will inspire all sorts of ahas for you too. Okay, time to start the class. I hold each of you in the same regard and each of you are teachers. So, for example, Marsha, if I no-showed on a Saturday's call, I didn't let anybody know that I was not going to be on the call, what would your opinion of me be? Well, I would really have to stop and think and wonder if you are serious about getting this class and your personal development going, if you really want to be a participant of your if you're serious, I mean, that to me is key. Are we serious here about growing and developing? Are we just going to flounder around? Because if we're not serious, I mean, that's why we paid money. That's why I paid money. So I expect to get the most out of what I'm doing in this class. So I can't see not taking it serious. If you put money into it, aren't you wanting to get the most out of you? that you can in your commitment here? So if I missed a call without warning, would it not likely put me in a question mark with everybody? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if I make you question me, would it automatically ripple back to your own questioning of your own commitment? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't even think so that even beyond that, and it may not be a matter of 
a no-show because I think we also have to consider that we have to really consider when we say, I'm not going to make it on the call, and this is the reason. Because I will tell you that there's no doubt in my mind that if, if you, Soul, didn't show up because something popped up and some other group decided to pay you $10,000 on the spur of the moment or whatever, and you decided to show up for some other group and not us, certainly people would be feeling some kind of way about it. So things come and they pop up and we make a decision on it's a, I guess a, I'm calling into question prioritization here. Clarify on that. I appreciate that. Okay, I'll be blunt. I've already had three other groups who've wanted this time slot. And each of those groups have each paid individually eleven ninety nine. Wow. But I had to turn them down. They were each willing to pay $1,200 for this class. And I turned them down because Christina stretched she stretched to make a deadline. So you have to understand my modus of operation, whether you're paying me a dollar an hour or a million dollars an hour, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the same level of attention, expertise, commitment, hopefully some wit and wisdom. You're going to get the same level. I do not discount what I offer based on what I'm being paid because if I do, frankly, it completely invalidates the entire essence of pay me what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. So you all are teachers too, and I want to make sure you understand that while you might make a comment that you think is no big deal, while you might think that cute little aha or whatever is no big deal on your end because you're here, you're in the moment, you're sharing your time and experience, while you think it's not that big of a thing, my dear friends, I have witnessed people change their life based on a complete stranger's cute little quote or comment. I've, I have letters of testimony that people through this process that when so-and-so said such and such, and they don't even know them, they'll never even meet them. These are in my other study groups where it's all completely random. But because of that person's insight, it struck at the right time. It's like a pin code that showed up at exactly the right time to unlock in them a completely unique perspective. And it's because they were there and present. And to me, that's priceless. That is priceless. I mean, we never know day to day what we do in our daily lives, a smile, a comment, how it's going to affect another person. Right. And that's why I chose the quote to open up Section 1, Irma Bombeck. There are people who put their dreams in little box and say, yes, I've got dreams. Of course I have dreams. Then they put the box away and they bring it out. Once in a while they look in it and go, yep, ah, they're still there. <laughs> I love it. I'd like to hear some stories about dreams that got put away. What's funny is when I read that, I've never pictured putting anything in boxes. It's always been rooms. <laughs> rooms with big locked doors. And that's where I would put my dreams. And in other rooms, there would be trauma I've suffered, and they'd have bigger locks on them. But I think being raised in an alcoholic home and an abusive home, even though I, it's like one side of me would say, okay, I'm going to do something different. This can't be it. I'm going to have an education. 
at nine years old, I can remember thinking, I'm going to have a bachelor's degree. Now, I wasn't sure what that meant, but I knew it was an accomplishment that I needed to do. But when you put your dreams away also with your trauma, you forget which ones to open up and look at. And I know for myself, it took me, I was early 30s when I went back to school and had been in school basically ever since to realize that, yes, I did have dreams. I had dreams of education. I had dreams of being able to take care of myself. I had very basic care dreams of being able to pay my bills, being able to have food on the table and roof over my head, let alone a big dream of being president or whatever. But growing up the way I did, my dreams were basic for so long. But I actually had to go back into those dream rooms and take those out and learn to grow with what I'd left behind. I think that um, we sort of learn, I don't know whether it's just pick up on the, the cues or the, the signals in our, of our environment that we pick up on. And maybe it's just even self-perception, I don't know. That whole, that's not something that you can believe in or you can accomplish. So stupid, again, shame. <laughs> sort of you feel the shame and you sort of tuck it away in that box and you cannot continue to pursue it for whatever reason just based off of those nonverbal cues and maybe even verbal. I know when I was in my early 20s and I can remember being home from college my first summer, um, home from college after my first year at college and I was looking for jobs, I couldn't find one and I ended up basically in my first network marketing opportunity I didn't realize that's what I was in until going into it, but I, I kind of got that bug, and I didn't keep pushing because that dream of being my own woman and working for myself and entrepreneurship, you know, I kind of listened to all of the people in the environment saying the only way that you can make it in life is to get a good education and get a good paying job with some good benefits. So I put that away so that I could I would continue to go to school, finish, get my degree, and get a good paying job and some good benefits. And then the second opportunity I had for entrepreneurship, right when I was at a cusp of a breakthrough, again, I put that away for what I was told and always taught was security and, and everything. I put that dream away. And now looking back, that's one of those things that I've had to give myself permission to accept as a learning experience rather than a regret because it's easy to sit back and, and have the regret that I didn't follow through at that time when I could have and I, and I should have continued to pursue my dream. This is Marsha. I never really did know what I wanted to do forever, it seemed like. There were only two things that I was really interested in doing when I was a teenager, and that was one was dance, the other one was gymnastics. But I kind of followed the norm, and I got married. So I put those dreams away. I mean, there's a lot of things that I love, but whether it was something I wanted to do was really something I couldn't figure out. To this day, I mean, if you could imagine me even thinking of becoming a nun <laughs> at one point. Oh, my God, I uh, saw that myself. I'm serious. <laughs> and it's like I just never really figure it out. I'm still on that point where I'm trying to figure it out. I'm really trying to discover, what do I want to do? And I do love network marketing because I love having relationships with people. That is one way that you can actually get a lot of good friends that you talk with. And, and I'm somebody who loves 
to have relationships with people. So that's about all I know right now. <laughs> Marcia, you'll get a chuckle out of this story. Okay. I'm the youngest of nine. My mother, a very devout Catholic woman, was on a mission with every one of her children to get a priest or nun out of one of us. Well, when it came to my turn, I just basically had to have a little chat about the <clears throat> slight friction that the Roman Catholic Church has with gay men. There's just a bit of an issue there. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, obviously, with me being her last chance, on her 55th birthday, she had a rather interesting heart-to-heart -heart with my sister, Liz, closest to me in age. And Liz made a flippant comment. She says, Mom, you've always said to us, if you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. At the age of 57, my mother, who had been a widow for most of her adult life, my father passed away when I was five, so she had to raise four children basically on her own. At the age of 57, my mother petitioned to and was accepted into a convent. And on the weekend that I had to be at her initial ceremony of taking vows, I was starting a new contract with a major client. I mean, a client who had already paid me a $25,000 retainer fee. I told them that I had to be at a family function on that weekend. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to miss a rather important meeting. But forgive me, but this was a pre-existing meeting I just can't miss. And, of course, everyone wanted to know how could I possibly blow off. I mean, they wanted to know what the family meeting was. So I told the person who was the most ranking individual in a private meeting, I said, well, my mother is in the process of becoming a nun. And he looked at me and laughed. He says, Saul, if you really don't want to tell us what's going on, you don't have to. <laughs> and at that weekend, the running joke was, is if I actually became a priest, a Roman Catholic priest, I could, and my mother became a nun, I could introduce my mother as my sister, and she could introduce her son as her father. <laughs> <laughs> that is oh, priceless. That's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So our dreams, I started our journey on learning how to receive by asking you to be mindful of your dreams and your accomplishments, which is what our exercise is all about, our accomplishments. Any ideas as to why I start our journey on learning how to receive more with ease and grace by remembering our dreams and remembering our accomplishments? For me, when I think about everything you just said, for me, it's like I have accomplished what my initial dreams were. I can pay my bills. I can have a house, blah, blah, blah. But there's always more dreams. It's always important for me to have another dream, another something to work toward. And maybe it's to remind us that you should never stop dreaming, that there's always more to do, either for yourself or for humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it was mostly about you got to understand where your start place, right? And your passion, your dreams is kind of your start place. And I think I remember in the chapter you talking about if you were focused, how you focus on your passion. Oh, you keep, your passion helps you keep your eye on the prize and passions provide power. So being able to balance the planning with the activity to enjoy solid, healthy results is very important when it comes to receiving 
and having the balance between receiving and giving? For me, I think that having the ability to receive is actually being able to get the signs I need. Get the signs I need. It's mm. like opening up the signs for me that God wants me to have. So that's why I am, I think I'm easily able to receive more because I ask for the sign. And then when a sign comes, if I'm willing to receive that sign, I'm going to get direction. That's why I think I've gotten to the point where I'm so willing to receive now because I'm asking for signs all the time. And I call that confirmation. When I'm thinking about doing something, like recently I had a chance to take another job at the VA. It would have been a great increase in pay with hospice. But I had to decide, is that the kind of hospice I wanted to do? Or what I'm doing right now, I work closely with the families and I'm with the veterans when they die, is that the kind of hospice I like? So what I had to do is I prayed about it and I looked for signs that would give me the answer and the signs did come and I didn't take that job because I would have been taking that job just for the money. I stayed where I was because that's where my passion was. So while at one angle people could say, Chelsea, you idiot, it was going to pay you more money. What you <laughs> recognize is the benefits, the learning, the fulfillment that you're getting from your existing position is worth more to you than a bigger paycheck. Yes, absolutely. That's the essence of our journey here, ladies. I'm starting out with dreams, and I'm starting out with what's your accomplishments, because I need to get you breaking up your ground. I don't know if any of you have ever witnessed what happens to a field after a farmer first plows the field. And if there's a, a length of time between the initial spring plowing or the, the plowing of a, a field that hasn't been plowed in a long time, if there's a little bit of time, like a week or two, that goes by before they actually start planting, does anybody know what happened to that freshly plowed field? Oftentimes, stuff starts growing. Yeah. Because the soil's been broken up. The light, the air, the water maybe can reach stuff that hasn't seen light and air and water in a long time. So even though before the field was plowed, it looked barren. But once it's been plowed, stuff starts to grow. Yeah? Yes. Absolutely, yes. I want to plow, no pun intended, not too much of a reference to the movie, but I want to plow your field of dreams. <laughs> That's paramount to our journey. And to do that, your signage, Chelsea, you were talking about signs. Should you take that job or not? To me, signs of accomplishment are things that you've already done. In this preparing to receive, exercise four, we talk about diplomas, trophies, accomplishments. What were some of your ahas as you dove into this first official exercise? Of course, I've got like two master's degrees such certifications, blah, blah, blah. But what I have found in reading this is a great reminder that, yes, I was all excited and, woohoo, you know, I graduated because I was the only person in my family to ever go to college. And to me, from childhood, that was 
a great goal. So when I was doing that, I was like a dog with a bone. I mean, I really dug in, and I was really serious about it. But then after it's over, you're like, hmm, what am I going to do now? And in reading this, it's like what I said about not taking that job. As I've gotten old, I feel more accomplished when I'm of service to others, more than just an education. All of that really doesn't matter now. It's what I can give to humanity. Yeah, that's on the line of my biggest aha was how many quote-unquote dreams I had that were external to me, that were a matter of material things or things, whether it be what society or what my family or friends think or, or suggest is a indicator of a level of, of success. So for me, it was that big, oh, man, there was nothing that was truly intrinsic for me. It was all coming from external factors or people saying this is what I should be doing. So I got to a certain point in life, and I'm like, what the hell do I like to do? <laughs> what do I love? <laughs> what do I want to do? <laughs> There's another angle to this that it's important for you to remember. There's another angle to this exercise. What might that angle be? I'm fishing. What is it? What do you think? Put it Let's brainstorm out loud. What's the angle I'm looking for here? Maybe to discover what? Our uniquenesses, what our skills are, what we're good in, are good at doing. Yep. Your passion. Yep. What did you think of my visualization of your life being a giant-sized storehouse that's filled from floor to ceiling, wall to wall, with various size boxes? Remember yeah. that part? I immediately thought about my mentor was saying, look around your house, <laughs> look around your car. I look around everywhere. There's clutter everywhere because that's, a, that's a, a transformation of what's inside you. I took that as, yeah, I got, I got some cleaning out to do. My attic has got a lot of cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't bring anything else in if we got so much in this already that there's no space for it. we got to make some space for it. Have you ever had a situation where you're going through the garage or the attic or the closet or whatever, and you dig something out and you go, oh, my God, I completely forgot about that? Mm -hmm. Just had it not, not even 12 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad at myself. <laughs> it's funny because Christine and I were just talking about we've got boxes in this house that have not been touched since we moved in. We were talking about, you know, I've got a friend that comes and helps us sometimes. Everything in here that we've not looked at in six years needs to go out to the curb to go to the dump. Yeah. Because it, the clutter needs to go. Or get out there on freecycle.com and say, come and get it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff. I think it's stuff that you hold on to. The gist I'm trying to get across here is our memory, our giant-sized hard drive stores every success, every memory of every success, as well as challenging times. But the goal of this exercise is to recall when you received acclamations, when you received affirmations, your giant-sized hard drive remembers. 
you can open up that file and you can go, oh, that's right, right? Mm -hmm. Is it too scary to open up those files and go, wow, I did that? The one thing that I thought about as I was reading this, you talk about if you're a graduate, you've graduated, you've gone through going up on stage, getting your diploma, smiling for the pictures, which was wonderful because I felt very accomplished when I did that. Since, Like I said, I was the only one in our family that ever went and graduated with honors. But then I think of another situation in the job I do now with hospice. I had a, a patient, a female veteran, that came to us for hospice, and she had little to no family. She had a sister that lived out, out in another state. So she was with us a good five or six months, and we loved her. We became her family. And the closer she got to her death, she was afraid of being alone. So the day we knew that this was probably the day she was going, I stayed. It was way after work, and I stayed with her until she passed, holding her hand, singing songs to her, praying for an easy journey for her because she had really had a, a very traumatic, struggling life. Apparently, after that day, somebody that I worked with had told my supervisor about it. And at the next social work meeting, all of a sudden, I'm hearing that story, and I'm thinking, who knows about that? And they gave me, they call it the gold coin, they gave me that for going above and beyond. And I felt so humbled. I said, I don't need a gold coin for doing what I needed to do. That is my job. That type of compassion and caring for my patients, for my residents, for anybody. I would do that for anybody. I don't, and it was funny because you get the degrees, and I'm like, woohoo, I'm just the stuff. But when I did that, that was part of a calling for me. And I didn't need to be recognized for it. It felt kind of weird being looking out for it. Well, again, Chelsea, you're getting to the, the stuff, the essence, the philosophy of our journey together. Out of all of this, in Exercise 4, I asked you to brainstorm. I asked you to think about all the different awards, the commitments, the ceremonies, the trophies, the certificates, the diplomas. What was your one most cherished award? And by the way, this is a trick question. It may not be something you got officially recognized for. My most cherished reward was when I came out that my mother and my son, the two most important people in my life, didn't judge me, they loved me, accepted me for who I was. That was better than any degree, better than anything I could have ever had. So Chelsea, what I'm hearing here is that moment of authenticity means a great deal to you. Yes. I had raised my son to be very loving, very caring, non-judgmental for everyone, no matter what color, everything, disability, gay, everything. And at that moment that he called me to say at 15 years old that, Mama, I don't care who you love as long as someone loves you back, whether it's male or female, as long as you're loved. That was his concern. Mm, nice. That means the world to me. Absolutely. In your storehouse, with boxes and boxes and shelves and shelves of stuff, one of the biggest boxes that you might recognize very quickly and you could tell what's in that box 
is your sense of authenticity. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yum. At that point in my life, I really didn't care what anybody else thought because I needed to be who I was to the world, to my family. And you lose friends, you lose family, but it's okay. The only two people I was remotely concerned about accepted me. Actually, my mama said, well, well it explains a lot. You're not near as crazy now. <laughs> 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 Apparently, ride that fence, I'd been a little crazy. <laughs> Uh, she said it all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. I think the unconditional love, people accepted me as who I am. That means the world to me, too. My mom and my brother, when I moved here, I thought, oh, boy, they're going to be getting on my case because I don't have a job, and they're going to be asking me every week, oh, when are you going to find a job? They never have, and to this day, they never come across as uh, not believing in what I believe in. I've been blessed because I'm staying with them. I hear mm-hmm. a lot of people have that struggle where they're with their family or they're with somebody who just doesn't believe in them enough to support them and what their dreams are. So it's it's sad because for them, I can't even imagine going through that. To not have the support of your family would be devastating really devastating and I'm so blessed that I've got a great family that I'm part of really blessed in that area you've also identified an Achilles heel what would happen to you if all of a sudden for some reason your family no longer supported you that's a great question I all I know is I would be a nervous wreck and I'd be out there probably doing whatever I can and even if I hated it And I'm just so thankful that I haven't had to experience that. As a result of the first three weeks of this course, for the first time in my life, I don't feel the heavy burden of trying to control everybody else's outcome and emotions and fix the situation so that everybody else in the family doesn't feel certain ways or take on what isn't mine to take on. I have to say that it's the most liberating gift to be able to say, not that it doesn't hurt or not that it's not disappointing, but I'm okay with taking the next step. If I don't choose to succumb to the shame or the pressure or judgment that my family might put on me for whatever decision I make, whether it be not attending a function that they think I should attend or whatever it is. I'm actually kind of shocked, but I think that's my greatest one so far. (laughs) That's very liberating for you, Kristen. Yeah, it is, because I spent my 37 years in life doing everything that everybody else wanted me to do because it made them happy. It made them feel less stressed. It made them feel less guilt. Meanwhile, I was taking on all the guilt, all the pressure, all the pain, all the worry, and nobody seemed to even care enough to look at me and say this child, even at age 37, is absolutely crumbling under their pressure of all the shit. You know, I accept my responsibility in that because you teach people how to, how to treat you, even your family, even your friends. And once I got to a consciousness about it, 
I continue to perpetuate it rather than to put a stake in the ground and say, no more, not one more time am I going to carry this load by myself or this load that isn't mine to carry. And that's my fault. So I have to love myself enough. That's huge. That is huge. These types of transformational shifts are what puts a huge tingle over my entire body. Every single person who gets to have a transformational shift in our journey together changes the world. You change the world. Christina, is it fair to say you changed your worldview considerably? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you think of that aha, that moment where you went, enough, enough, a one-syllable word made into two, enough, <laughs> if you think of that as a stone being tossed into a huge pond, a huge stone, possibly a meteor being tossed into the pond, the ripples of that aha is going to affect every relationship you have and every relationship they have and every relationship they have and in a great Prell commercial and so on and so on and so on. <laughs> True? <laughs> yeah. Are you getting a sense of how this journey that we're going to be on could throw you into a whirlwind? It's my job to help you stand back and go, yeah, that cyclone may be happening. Yeah, that tsunami may be happening. But let's look at it from another's perspective. And it's the job of everybody on this team to do the same thing. That's why it's so important you're here every day. So with that thought in mind, we've just got a few minutes left. What I'm going to propose is now that we're officially starting month number two, Getting into chapter number one, it is imperative that you get your calendars out and you schedule three hours a week, every week for the next 11 months to do this work. One hour for the phone call, one hour to read the book and to really start getting into the exercises, and one hour to do some online stuff. Three hours a week minimum. And if that seems like too much, that's okay. You're going to get out of this what you put into it. And to me, you're worth it. You're worth the three hours. The most effective groups that I see in the past and currently running, the most effective groups, is they're, they're doing what, Christina, you just bless you for doing this, but you kind of started a, a Thursday night call. I know you didn't have one last Thursday night. Most effective groups, they have another call scheduled for this. The most effective groups all agree to get online at roughly the same time. They give themselves a three-hour window, and they all get online, and they all start blogging, and they all start commenting on each other's blogs and comments so that within that three-hour time frame, they can check back in and look at stuff and carrying on a virtual conversation. Those groups get so much more out of this process. And for every person who tells me, soul... I have more to do in life than this. That's fine. When you go through another cycle of doubt, guilt, shame, and worry, you do so because you decided not to take the time to do the work. 
That's my incentive. I would prefer never, ever have to go through doubt, guilt, shame, and worry ever again. So if that means i got to do some heavy lifting and do some work, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Just the discussions that I have had with people on the team individually and myself, my self-discussion, and my big aha moment is to recognize, too, to be conscious, too, of just how much doubt, guilt, shame, worry that we put on ourselves. I want us to really start thinking about that's just as wrong as allowing someone else to put it on us. It's just as detrimental, probably more so, than allowing someone else to put it on us. Yes. Valid point. And if remember our conversation about choice. We had two calls mm-hmm. about choice. If anything I ever say to you in triggers doubt, guilt, shame, and worry, what happened? Something got stirred up inside you, and you chose to take on that energy rather than to experience it the way that it was intended. Or at the very least, have the dialogue to say, this is, this is the way I understood it. Am I misunderstanding this? Bingo. I will often tell you, and I'll repeat it until it sinks in, I have no desire whatsoever consciously or subconsciously, to be the source or the recipient of doubt, guilt, shame, and worry. At the same time, I have no desire to control you at such a level. I have no desire to manipulate you at such a level that you wouldn't have those feelings. I do not want to control you. I do not want to manipulate you. You have divine choice. And for me... To think, oh, if I say it this way, or if I say it this way, or if I say it this way, or if I say it this way, on and on and on and on and on, someone might interpret it this way, or this way, or this way, or this, on and on and on and on. Remember the whole explore-analyzer thing we talked about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't get in that mix. <laughs> I, I really can't. <laughs> right. There have been things that you've said to me, so that kind of just grinded me. And I decided that it really doesn't even matter what your intention was because I still, once I got over my own crap, got value out of it that grew me. And that was my choice to do that. I don't really care what your intention is in the end. I don't mean to sound harsh about it, but I'm just saying. Well, that's powerful. (laughs) That's powerful. That's key to our journey together because as you all step into your roles as teacher, we have to set this precedent. And if I choose to get pissed off about something, it's my crap to deal with, not yours. Now, as we get into Chapter 1, what I highly suggest going forward with every time we start a new chapter, when you have a moment, it will take you approximately a half hour, if no more, to just read the chapter. Read the discussion questions. The discussion questions are very much like the the farmer plowing the field. Read those discussion questions with the notion that we're going to be finding answers to those discussion questions as you read the chapter. And the first time you read the chapter, just read it. Don't do anything else but read it. Just read it, get it into your consciousness, and sleep on it. And let the process begin from there. Any ideas why I suggest you just read it before doing anything else and then sleep on it before you dive into it. 
your subconscious is powerful. And if you'll allow your subconscious to just really work and explore, you'll get more out of it. You'll be so much more open. You'll have so many more questions, ahas, and perceptions uh, to build on. Yep. Yeah. You got it. Absolutely. And I think this was a really uh, powerful discussion. I encourage everybody to actually go back and, and listen to the recording more than once, all of it. Because it seems to me every time I, I continue to hear something differently. And so uh, for me, I appreciate all of you, love you all, and look forward to uh, next Saturday. Thank Aloha. you. Aloha. 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 Christina Irvin here, and I want to thank you for joining us as we continue to explore worth as it relates to life's abundance. If you resonate with this discussion and know that it's time to make a change, we start new teams on the first Saturday of every month, and I encourage you to take action now. Until next time, you have a great day. To get involved in Christina's classes, call her at 423 737 5809. Again, Christina's number is 423-737-5809. Aloha. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.